Let's go to Philippians chapter 3 and let's begin reading verses 8 through 14. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. In order for Paul to win Christ, he had to die to all of the confidence in his flesh. He had to count it all loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And to be found in Christ, he could not rely on his own righteousness, but he needed Christ's righteousness to be imputed to him, which only comes as a result of us having a saving faith in Christ. Salvation and living the Christian life are both all about Christ. We cannot save ourselves. Amen. We cannot even live the Christian life apart from Christ. We cannot live the Christian life by walking in the flesh. And so it's all about Him. We have to have a life that is rooted and grounded in Christ. We left off last time in verse 10 where Paul says that I may know Him. Once Paul was found in Christ, in verse 9, he could go on to know Christ in verse 10. This is the pinnacle of all human life. Knowing God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. That's what life is all about. That's the best that it gets. It's knowing God. That's why we are created is for His pleasure. And, and knowing Him, do you know Him tonight? It, it should be the joy of your life. People want to look for all these other details and things like that. But listen, where it's found is in knowing Him, having a relationship with Him. The Christian life isn't about religious observances. I'm not against religious observances in that I'm glad that you're here tonight. I hope that when you were saved, you were baptized. I, I hope that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, you confess your faults and your sins that you might partake. I, I'm not against religious observances. God isn't against those things, but that's not what the Christian life is about. It is about a relationship with Christ. God desires a relationship with us so much that after we sinned against Him in the Garden of Eden, He would one day robe Himself in flesh for the sufferings of death so that He could shed His perfect blood that we might have the remission of our sins and save a hell-deserving sinner. Reconcile us to God. There's nothing greater you can do with your life. I wish our whole church knew that. There's nothing greater you can do than to know God relationally. Ultimately, when your life is over, it will all come down to whether or not you knew Christ. Not do you know about God or know of God, 
but do you know him personally? Do you have a personal walk with God? And this is all the glorying that we have in our life. As we studied before these verses, Paul no longer could glory in who he was. He could no longer glory in his flesh. We, we can't glory in, in who we were. We can't glory in the accomplishments of our flesh. But all the glory belongs to him. And we said this last time, but let him that glory, a glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's our glory. That we would know God. And knowing God goes beyond just knowing Him in salvation. We talked about last time how this is a progressive knowledge of knowing God. It's something that we're building upon. It's not just knowing Him and then forgetting about Him and saying, yeah, I met the Lord once. No, it's about growing in our walk with Him. Just like you know your spouse more now than when you were first married. So you ought to know the Lord better now than when you first came to Him and were saved. We need to go from the milk of God's Word to the meat of God's Word. We need to start comprehending what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of Christ, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. We should always, we should always be growing in our comprehension of Christ. No matter how old you are in the faith, you ought to always be growing in your knowledge of Christ. So do you know Christ? Do you know Him in salvation? And if you do, are you getting to know Him more and more? Do you walk with Him daily? Are you in His Word daily? Is there fellowship one with another? He wants to walk and talk with you. He wants you to know Him. And if you will draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. Now for tonight, let's continue looking at verse 10 and what, Paul, what else Paul wanted to know that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Not only did Paul want to know Christ more and more, but he wanted to know the power of Christ's resurrection. And he wanted to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. In verse 9, we find the doctrine of justification. This is the act of being declared righteous in Christ. It is all His righteousness and none of ours. The title deed to our life has been transferred to God and now He owns us and He placed His righteousness upon us. And now in verse 10, we're going on from justification to the doctrine of sanctification. This is the process of us being transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. Now with the title deed transferred, the renovation begins. Amen. We can all identify with some old building in town that is in a state of disrepair. Windows are busted out of it. Doors are broken off the hinges. The roof leaks. The light bulbs have all been broken out. There's holes in the wall. There's that musty smell to that old building. Because it's been deserted and it's just sitting there falling apart. It's in this state of disrepair. But one day, the building received new ownership. And once the new owner took over, you started to notice this renovation began to take place. The building was undergoing a transformation. And one day, you saw a completely, built, a completely different building than you did before. 
It was the same building which once was in a state of disrepair, but then once you entered it, you could hardly believe it was the same place. You ever had that experience? And I know that we're all new creatures in Christ, but that example is similar to what happens to the child of God. Our title is transferred to a new owner. Whoop. And once under new ownership, a transformation begins to take place in our life. People begin to notice some things that are changing. This is the process of sanctification. It's funny because some people claim to be saved and yet you can never tell it by their countenance. Amen. Saul of Tarsus was a persecutor of the church. He was feared by Christians all over. But then one day, on the road to Damascus, he met the Lord in salvation and he was justified. And as change began to take place in his life through the process of sanctification, people could hardly believe that this one Saul of Tarsus was the person who was standing before them now. That this one who was preaching Christ was the same man who was persecuting those that he's now preaching, persecuting Christians that he's now a part of. I don't know how to put that into words. Somebody help me. (laughs) Paul, they couldn't believe that the one who was persecuting Christians is now preaching the Christ and the reason why he was persecuting them. It makes sense in my mind, but you you following me here. It's same person, different ownership. You can imagine people asking, what happened to Saul of Tarsus? Why is he preaching Christ? I I thought he was a Pharisee. Don't tell me he's another one of those that got caught up in all that Jesus stuff. Some of you heard that in your life. But we know what happened to Saul. He had a new owner. And as a result, he underwent a renovation. Saul was being transformed from a religious zealot into a true child of God. And there was such a change in his life that Saul of Tarsus was changed to the Apostle Paul. And so what we learn is this. Pay attention now. Salvation is more than just a profession of faith. But salvation involves being transformed. Romans 12.2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. There ought to be a change. Ephesians 4.22-24 says, That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the former life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's created after the image of God. It's it's true righteousness. It's true holiness. That's what we put on. That's what we become. We who were once unholy are becoming holy. Amen. We who were once unrighteous now have His righteousness. Colossians 3.10 says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of Him that created Him. Now, everyone's transformation may look differently because we are all saved out of different backgrounds, different experiences. Some of us may have grown up in church. Some of us may have grown up very wickedly. 
our transformation may look completely different, but we ought to be transformed nonetheless. I should say that the beginning of our transformation may have a different starting point, but we're all going to be conformed into the image of Christ. Romans 8.29, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so God has predestinated every child of God to be conformed into the image of Christ. That verse does not say that we have been predestinated to heaven or hell but that the predestination that's being spoken of is that once we choose to be in Christ, then we are predestinated to be conformed into the image of His dear Son. And so, in other words, the process will take place. There will be a change in our lives. Our behaviors will change. Our attitudes will change. Our desires will change. I'm not saying there won't be struggles. I'm not saying that you won't battle your flesh. But there will be changes. I am not the man I was when I got saved. Notice Paul's change in verse 10. He went from one who we know as Saul of Tarsus into one who wanted to know Christ. One who was persecuting Christ, now he says, I want to know Him. He didn't care really to get to know Him before. Amen. He just wanted to destroy those who said they did know Him. And so this amazing transformation took place. Now he wants to know Christ. And now he wants to know the power of His resurrection. And now he wants to know the fellowship of His suffering. Paul's behavior and his desires all changed now being in Christ. Since we have already considered knowing Christ in our last message, let's move on to knowing the power of Christ's resurrection tonight. And we should ask ourselves, what happened at Christ's resurrection? Jesus went into the tomb dead. Amen. He died for us. Before He laid down His life for us, He bore our sins upon Himself while on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And Jesus was laid in the grave having suffered death, which is the penalty of sin. But three days later, He was gloriously resurrected. He came victoriously out of the tomb alive. There was a change that took place with Jesus. He went from death to life. He went from being sin for us to being freed from the curse of the law of sin. And this event was so powerful that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. And this is why we desire to know the power of Christ's resurrection. We want there to be a change, and we don't want to live our life in vain while living in sin. Romans 6, verses 3 through 6. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection." Knowing this, 
that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You see, we were dead in our trespasses and sins before we came to Christ because the penalty of sin is death. We were dead men walking. But in Christ, we have been raised through the power of His resurrection. We have been raised from death spiritually. We've been resurrected in order that we might walk in newness of life. We, like Jesus, have gone from death to life. And now there is to be a change which has taken place. And this change, this resurrection power that Paul speaks of, it is us being freed from the power of sin. Romans, further on, Romans 6, 9 through 12. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, now he's going to shift to us. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. But here's the deal. You have to die first. You have to identify with Christ in death. You can never experience the power of Christ's resurrection and know what Paul is talking about here until you have died. Spiritually speaking. Romans 7, 9, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That's what Paul wrote. You'll never identify with Christ's resurrection power if you will never identify with Him in death. If you're going to walk in newness of life, you must be crucified with Him. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So knowing the power of Christ's resurrection, it's about bearing His image through the new birth and the process of sanctification. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through 49, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are, of, that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, I understand that passage is speaking about the literal resurrection. Those who have died in Christ physically. But the principle there, I think, still applies that we have been raised up spiritually to bear the image of the heavenly. When Jesus resurrected, He was not recognizable to those around Him at first. Something changed in His life. There was a process that He underwent. 
And in our lives, knowing the power of His resurrection, there ought to be such a change in our life that when people see us later, they go, what happened to Him? I couldn't even recognize Him. He got caught up in all that Jesus stuff. There will be a transformation one day that Paul was writing about. And actually, he writes about it here in in verse 11. It's called glorification. But there is also a transformation taking place now where we are being sanctified to bear Christ's image. Now, I also believe that wrapped up in knowing the power of Christ's resurrection, that it, it goes beyond just walking in newness of life and the fact that we have been saved. But understanding the power of His resurrection, I believe, goes on to bearing fruit for Christ. As we serve Christ, we ought to become fruit-bearing Christians. And if you know the power of His resurrection, then you will be bearing fruit. Why do I say this? John 12, 24 says, Jesus speaking said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So the principle there is, Jesus speaking of Himself ultimately, that He would die, go into the ground, He would resurrect, there would be a lot of fruit. But that applies to us as well. We have to die to ourselves. We have to identify with Christ going into the grave that we might be resurrected, that we would have that power, and that we would bear fruit. Romans 7, 4 says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Listen, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. That's why we're raised to newness of life. Not just that we might bear His image, but that we might bear fruit. And as you examine your life, you should see if there's been a change taking place. Are you bearing fruit tonight? Without bearing His image, without bearing fruit, you need to go back to Philippians 3.9 and see if you're even found in Him first. Are you even really saved? If you are, you need to confess whatever it is that's keeping you from being conformed and transformed. You need to confess that to God, get it right. And then you need to move on to know the power of His resurrection. Now, I think we're all good tonight with knowing the power of His resurrection. Amen. Whoop, that's exciting. I've been saved. I've been raised in newness of life, and I'm going to bear fruit and all this thing. But how many of us like what the Apostle Paul says next? I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. Well, that's not quite as appealing. Amen. (laughs) I don't think we're jumping at the chance to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, I don't think we're all out there with a martyr's complex. This means, though, that there's a partnership, a fellowship with Christ in His sufferings. Um, I don't think we jump at the chance because we understand how much Christ suffered. It was a lot. It ultimately led to scourging and a violent death. And, And we understand that to be identified with that, there's going to be some pain. But the fact is, those in Christ will suffer some form or fashion of suffering. It, it, it'll look different for different people in different countries. Philippians 1.29 says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. It's given unto us to suffer for Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That sounds like a guarantee. 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 and 4, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. 
For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. Acts 14.22 talks about how we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. We're going to suffer. And, and the, the fact is, the, the suffering, the fellowship of His suffering, is another proof of whether or not you are in Christ. In Christ, we live for Him, and in, and in living for Him, we suffer for Him along the way. And I think there may be a progression here that we are seeing in these verses. First, we are to be found in Him. That's salvation. Then we are to begin to know Him. Then we're to go on to know the power of His resurrection. And then I think it progresses even further that we are to begin to suffer for Him as we begin growing and we are transformed and conformed as we grow. Then there are those who will go on to know Him more deeply. These are the ones who want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. These are the ones who have already experienced the power of His resurrection. From that group, there will be those who will go on to know Christ. See, there's a large group that will say, I'm found in Him. There's a large group even that will say, yeah, I'm beginning to know Him. But it starts to shrink when it comes to knowing the power of His resurrection and bearing fruit. And then from that number, it gets even smaller from those who will go on and know the fellowship of His sufferings. Now you're beginning to get into that group of whom the world is not worthy. Paul was certainly in that group. Amen. 1 Peter 4, 12-14, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye shall be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the Spirit and glory of God resteth upon you. Matthew 5, 10-12 Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In other words, don't be disheartened when you are reviled for Christ's sake. Just go ahead and expect the rejection. There will be tribulation and persecution and reproach. But rejoice. You have been blessed to be able to identify with the sufferings of Christ. And I know that sounds strange. It's one of the Christian paradoxes in the Bible. One of the many. How can there be blessings through suffering? But there is. Acts 5, 40 and 41, And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, that's the council, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. By the way, that was just before they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine, I think. They departed from the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. There is something special about being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Few there be that find it. So where are you at in this process tonight? Are you still just found in Him with no real progress? Can you not really tell a difference from when you were saved to now? 
it's time to grow in the knowledge of Christ. If you can say that you are found in Him and that you have began to grow, then are you experiencing the power of His resurrection tonight? Are you being transformed into His image? Are you bearing fruit? And are you learning to die to self? And then finally, are you in fellowship with Christ's suffering? This is where we find Christian maturity. And you don't have to go looking for the suffering. It will find you. I know some preachers who think it's their job to suffer for Christ, and so they go and just be cantankerous and ugly until somebody says, I don't like you. I'm suffering for Christ. No, you're just a jerk. (laughs) Amen. Anyway, um, so it'll find you. Don't worry. But may we all grow in our walk with Christ. Let's pray.